What is going on, DC? This is Move the District, hosted by yours truly, Mike Yassin. For those of you who don't know me, I'm a physical therapist, and this podcast is dedicated to highlighting members of the Washington, DC health and fitness community and giving you the correct information with no BS to help you live a life that's active, healthy, and fulfilled. All right, welcome back to episode 17 of Move the District. We are back, and today we got a very special episode that I am super excited about. Uh, It's a big league episode. So uh, today, my guest is going to be the newest physical therapist here at Big League, Dr. Zoe Pond McPherson. Zoe? Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. I mean, it wasn't really an option. I, I just told <laughs> you that you were coming on, but I still appreciate you uh, taking the time here and uh, listening to me. <laughs> yeah, you did throw it on my schedule, but I was happy to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think uh, this is like an awesome kind of intersection of like everything that we've been talking about on Move the District with your background in CrossFit, as well as now physical therapy. Uh, so yeah, I think this is going to be a uh, great episode. Um, so yeah, let's start with um, your background. How did you how did you get started with physical therapy? Like, what made you want to be a physical therapist? Oh, I knew this question was coming. Um, well, so in undergrad, I had chatted with like a friend of mine who was on the PT track, and she was like, "I think you would like this," so I considered it for a hot second. Did like the bio classes and whatnot, and then moved on with my life and went down the math road. Um, And then, you know, spent two years working for an investment consulting firm and didn't love it as much as I was really, really hoping that I would. What didn't Um, you love about it? I just hated sitting at a desk all day. Like that just wasn't for me. And it wasn't like the work wasn't interesting. I did some cool research projects and some white papers, but just sitting at a desk, not moving, went against everything that I like love about life. So just not for me. Um, And actually the day I gave notice, so I I shadowed at a PT clinic, um, chatted to a few friends who were in physical therapy and decided like that was the road I wanted to take. I got into a post-fac program at AU to do all the prereqs. And when I sat down to tell my boss at the time at the investment consulting firm, like, hey, I'm giving my notice so that I can pursue a career in physical therapy. He literally was like, yeah, that sounds about right. So uh, I think that what I looked for in it was I had the background in gymnastics and lacrosse and I had started doing CrossFit and I was always just super interested in the human body and like movement and also solving problems like math is about solving problems. And so even though a lot of people don't see it as connected to PT, I do, because you're looking at someone, you're not using x-rays, you're not using MRIs, you're kind of just using your mind to figure out what's going on and what you can do to help them feel better. Um, So I thought it was like a cool intersection, even though I know a lot of people like don't see that connection there. Well, I think it gives you like the basis of like problem solving. I think a lot of like what we do is is solving people's problems and i mean we we do it you know together with with our our clients but it's it's a matter of basically like they have x problem how do we you know come up with y solution so you know it kind of gives you that like that 
basis of like, how do I get from point A to point B, um, logically thinking? Yeah, exactly. So I think there's that connection there, but that was like the main draw. I didn't have any like, traumatic injury growing up or anything like that. Like a lot of people who tore their ACL, loved their PT, so on and so forth. It just was something that had been brought to my attention that I might like. And initially I brushed it off and then I realized, you know, my friends were probably probably right. I probably wasn't meant out for the investment consulting world. Ah. <laughs> Although, yeah, I feel like it's one of those things where it's like a lot of people go that route out of like undergrad where it's like, I don't know what to do. So I'm just going to go this business route. And then you get into like the world of finance and that's like, you're making, you know, decent money. And then you're just like, you know, next thing you know, it's like 30 years later and you are miserable. Yeah. I mean, I like, so didn't know what I wanted to do when I graduated college though. I was, my final decisions, I had it down to three things. It was, and none of them were all that similar, two kind of. So one was a master's degree in um, financial math in Edinburgh, Scotland, at the oldest university to have a math finance degree. Um, The other was Teach for America as a high school AP math teacher in Las Cruces, New Mexico. Wow. And the last one was doing the research for an investment consulting firm in Arlington, Virginia. And I had applied to a gazillion jobs. And like, these were the three that I narrowed it down to. And I was like, these are not similar. Not at all. (laughs) Not at all. And and what, what made you choose the job down here? I really, really wanted to do TFA. Um, I was very passionate about getting into education, just having had to go to a private high school as um, growing up because the public school in my uh, county didn't even get the valedictorian into UCLA my freshman year. So my parents were like adamant about me going to private high school. And so I really wanted to try and like improve, especially math and especially women in math, like just get people confident in it. Um, And I think I would have taken that job, except I, you know, not to bash TFA, but they gave me a $2,000 loan, not grant, to move to Texas for six weeks of training, and then move to New Mexico. And then I would have had to buy a car and rent a house. And I just didn't feel like that was reasonable. Yeah, that's that's a that's a tough position, especially as a new grad to be to be put into where you're you get a loan and then you're responsible for paying that back in addition to, you know, moving to a whole another remote part of the country. So that kind of makes sense. Yeah, yeah you, so hear stories, kind of- you hear stories that people go into like more like cities, like whether it's like New Orleans or even like Philadelphia and like, you know, you're you're kind of like in an area where like housing isn't as big of a deal or like you know, the culture shock isn't quite there, but like moving to Las Cruces, Mexico, I would say there's probably a good amount of culture shock associated with that. Yeah, for sure. And like, I really wanted to do it. Um, Looking back, obviously I'm glad I went down this route and, you know, finance wasn't for me, but I figured it out and I got to meet a lot of cool people along the way being in DC. So there you go. (laughs) And so, and so then you, you quit your job you said enough of this shit. And then what? Then I did a year 
at AU taking all of the undergrad classes that I hadn't finished in my pursuit where I gave up on it in undergrad <laughs> for PT. So I did that in one year. And then my husband got a job with the State Department and he got posted to the Philippines. So we moved to the Philippines for two years and I applied to grad school while we were there and flew back for interviews. GW was my top choice. So I flew back for that. And um, then Not everywhere a short else flight. I, Not a no. short flight. And then everywhere else I interviewed either while I was here and just told them I was in the States or via Skype. And then I coached CrossFit for two years in the Philippines. And that was where I went down the road of competing in CrossFit. Uh, so definitely like a life-changing move, obviously. Mm -hmm. But I would say that. Yeah, it was interesting applying for a PT school from 12 Philippines. time zones away. But I found a cool mentor the week, maybe the first or second week I started coaching, who owns a clinic, a PT clinic in New York and was moving back to the Philippines to be with his parents and opening his own PT shop. So Mark, my husband was his very first patient. Wow. That's, that's impressive. And what, what was his name? Francis Diano. Francis, shout out to him. France, shout out to Francis. Is he now in New York or is he in the Philippines? Nah, he's still in the Philippines. He owns a like practice actually pretty similar to big league. Oh, there you go. Um, and so you, you spent time, uh, with him there. And then during that time when you applied to GW, where else did you apply? I applied, I mean, like everywhere in the DMV area, I feel like. So GW, Marymount, and then I went into, applied down to VCU, Delaware, Temple, did not apply to UMD because they had some prereq that I didn't finish. And then I threw in some random ones out of fear that I wouldn't get into PT school, like Florida or something, some Miami school. I don't remember. Now talk about that process of applying to PT school. Cause I think I hear that a lot from people in the fitness world or even, even like people who are still undergrad, they're like, Oh, well, I want to go to PT school. I want to go to PT school. Talk about that process. And like what was involved? Like from the prereq side and like getting those prereqs. Yeah. The whole process. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, so I looked at the schools that I thought I would be interested in applying to and looked at their prerequisite list before I started taking classes at American. And if there were any outliers, like UMD had a weird outlier, I just decided that because it was the only school that had that one prereq, I would cut it off my list. And then I did everything that was required for all of the other programs that I was interested in. And GW was my top choice. And so I made sure I checked all the boxes with that. You also have to get shadow hours and you have to log them. So I got, I How wound did you up get like, shadow hours. I'd been in DC long enough to like know people. So I got connected initially to a guy who does pediatric PT at uh, a public preschool. Mm. early intervention preschool in DC. And so I got connected with him and I shadowed him in pediatrics, which like bless his soul, not for me, but it was, I mean, heartbreaking, but also heartwarming to do a day there. Pediatric PT is a there. whole, that's a whole nother animal. Yeah. Yeah. And then he connected me with his classmate who is down at the Jackson clinics. So I shadowed her and so very just different style. And then American University got me in touch with a clinic near the school where other students had done shadowing hours. And I went there and they brought me on as a PT tech while I was doing 
all of the prereq classes. Okay, so this is all before the Philippines. Yeah, yeah, okay. I had to get everything checked off before the Philippines. Right, yeah, I imagine that'd be pretty stressful because yeah, I don't know if those, the, the PTs in, in the Philippines would count towards your uh, observation hour total, probably not. No, because it's a bachelor's degree there. Probably not. Um, and then let's talk a little bit more now about PT school. What, what are your thoughts on your PT school experience? I really appreciated GW and I think I wouldn't say having been out, but like having gone to clinic, I think that they did a good job of preparing us both like these are the rules initially and then later teaching us like when it's okay to bend the rules a little bit. So if you're thinking about like an eval, initially it was by the book a hundred percent of the time. And then they're like, well, you know, not every patient can get in that position. And so how to, how to change it. But also they really focused on critical thinking, not just memorizing facts. And so I thought that PT school, at least GW did a good job preparing us to think critically about a situation rather than just be good because we're checking off the boxes. Um, yeah. But it was I, stressful. Yeah. I, I think, that, I think that makes sense. I think PT school, I mean, I think, PT schools and the, the, the PT world get a lot of flack just mainly because like they teach you how to be a generalist, you know, the, the, you know, for people who are listening that don't really know the full realm of physical therapy, what we do here in the sports medicine realm is, is really just one sliver of it. You know, there, there's a pediatric PT that we talked about before working with kids who have developmental disabilities. There's acute care uh, physical therapy when you, you know, after you have open heart surgery, there is skilled nursing home uh, facility, uh, physical therapy where you're working with patients, you know, long-term with maybe Parkinson's disease. There's home health physical therapy. There's aquatic therapy. There's, there's so many different options for, or, or avenues that like physical therapy, wound care. Oh God, wound care. Oh God, I forgot about wound care. Yeah, exactly. There's all these other avenues within physical therapy that make up this whole physical therapy profession, which I think makes it really hard for us to define what is physical therapy as a profession. And I think that's, you know, hindered us to an advantage or to a point, but also given us sort of an advantage because we can do so many different things. Um, but ultimately PT school teaches us to be generalists. You know, we come out with a solid understanding, critical under critical thinking skills to be good in orthopedic, in sports medicine, in acute care, in whatever setting we end up choosing to work in. So it gives us that opportunity to like know the basics, um, but not necessarily know, you know, in depth every single thing. And it's like you said, it's not just like checking off things. It's like understanding like when you get into a situation, like how do I react? How do I handle this? And then that's where we develop like more of our, clinical experience the uh the savvy as uh we refer to it in the biz yeah and uh i had no idea about neuro pt when i applied to pt school just as like an aside with all of the specialties and mm. so learning about that in pt school like our first neuro class i was like wait what huh? i was like why is neuro on the list of classes and i realized that sounds like naive but i just didn't have exposure to it before i applied and there was just this whole other world of PT. And thankfully, I had an internship that like brought that in. But I just had no idea it existed. Yeah, I think, spoiler, spoiler alert, uh, pretty much all of PT is neuro-PT. <laughs> you know, I think, you know, we look at like pain, you look at motor function, everything. It's like everything relates back to the nervous system one way or the other. And I think it's definitely a course 
two courses. I mean, I don't know how you did it at GW. I know at Scranton, we did it. It was two courses and I definitely probably didn't appreciate it as much, you know, now that I am where I am now, I think seeing the role, how much, how much of a role the nervous system plays in everything. It's like, Oh yeah, like this is, this is pretty important. Like we should, you know, know how to, you know, treat the nervous system. And uh, yeah, I wish, I wish maybe I had paid a little bit more attention. But yeah, I mean, they do separate it out, which I think sets your mind up for that where you're like, okay, I'm in neuro class. I'm in musculoskeletal class versus like how you bridge that gap. We had some like pretend patient scenarios uh, where they did try and do that so that you're thinking like, is this neuro? Is this MSK? Oh, wait, both are always involved in every situation. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think, yeah, that's definitely one thing. I mean, there's, and there's definitely things that like, I'd like to see PT schools start teaching or remove from the curriculum, like ultrasound, like for anyone listening uh, who has gone to physical therapy or is a physical therapist, stop doing ultrasound, ultrasound. Now this is, you know, ultrasound treatment, not ultrasound diagnostic, but ultrasound treatment. There's no evidence to support ultrasound. There's absolutely zero evidence. So if you're listening to this, stop using it. Just, just put it in the corner. Just, just let it, let it collect dust. There's, there's no need to, there's just no need. They're just rubbing cold gel on your body. That's all it is. That's really all it is. And, and your, your therapist is probably not even doing it right anyway. So, uh, that being said, I wish, I wish PT schools would stop tre- teaching that. And instead okay. I wish they would teach how teach you how to squat deadlift and press. Those are, yeah. those are pretty important things. Yeah. My classmate, Jen, Ryan and I reached out to the program, like, I think like a month and a half ago. And we were like, Hey, if you want us to come in and teach people how to deadlift squat and like bench press, strict press, let us know. Cause we were like, this is something that is lacking just right. kind of across the board. And it should be a big part, not a big part, but we should at least review proper technique. You should have a solid understanding of it because no matter what area that you do work in uh, the whole across the whole realm of, of physical therapy, those are fundamental principles, fundamental movement principles, the squat, you know, it's the same as whether you're teaching someone how to do a 300 pound squat or you're teaching grandma how to get off the toilet. Like this is something that you're going to have to treat or, or, or teach, you know, or, or help someone get better at, you know, same thing with a deadlift, whether it's a 300 pound deadlift or whether you're picking up a, a box off the ground, like people are going to hinge at their hips. They're going to use their legs, use their back. And we should teach them how to do it properly, um, you know, and, and same thing with like, you know, pressing, like thing about pressing is like reaching for the top shelf in the kitchen, you know, uh, or, you know, doing an overhead press, like people should be able to reach overhead and do it with strength. And, uh, you know, all these things are on a spectrum, you know, like a, doing a sled push is not much different than pushing a walker. There's, 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 you know, similarities there. So I think, you know, everyone could benefit from some form of exercise technique, exercise knowledge, uh, going into their respective careers. So I wish, I wish PT schools would be like, yeah, let's talk about squatting and deadlifting. But, uh, apparently that's not always the case. Maybe one day, one day from your lips to God's ears. That's what I'm, <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. Um, what else about PT school? How about, um, how about the courses in PT school? What, what were your favorite courses in PT school? Ooh, favorite courses. That's hard. I, well, 
I did not like, I can tell you my least favorite first. I was, that was going to be the, fo- that was going to be the, the follow up question. I did not like the first, I wouldn't say the whole first year, but a lot of the first year, mainly because I realized that you have to memorize things. I completely understand that. Like I have to know all the muscles. I have to memorize the test positions for measuring strength and range of motion and all of the spinal cord tracks and everything in the, you know, like the structures in the brain and whatnot. But I am not someone who does well by like purely memorizing. Right. I think that's why I chose math because I can just solve more problems and not try and like do flashcards or draw things. I just do more problems and then you learn it because you do it. So I really didn't like the courses that required memorization without application. <laughs> and uh, did, did they, did at GW, did they tell you don't memorize like the muscles? Did they say you have to like learn the muscles, don't memorize them? Or were they just like, no, you have to memorize. Them. It was a mix of both. They're like, I mean, at a certain point it's memorization, but you should also like work to know like, okay, if I'm doing flexion, yeah. what are all the muscles involved versus like, what does the bicep do? Like you need to know both. Yeah. And so yeah. like working to learn it as like a unit as well as individually, which in my head, I was like, this is memorization. Yeah. The, the, the our, our professor at Scranton who taught anatomy, God, God rest his soul. He just passed away this past year, but he was brilliant. I mean, just absolutely brilliant. And he had, you know, he had the PhD in anatomy and he was also a PT and he would just sit there and like close his eyes like a computer and just be like, well, the biceps connects here and the, coracobrachialis connects here and your your ulnar nerve runs nerve runs deep to that and like you're like he's going through like the different layers of like your your shoulder and you're like you're like what what is this guy and he's just like talking with his clothes his eyes closed and then he his always his thing was make it make sense make it make sense make it make sense and um at a certain point it just becomes memorization like I tried to like make it make sense and like yeah I have a good understanding of anatomy now I thanks thanks to him but at a certain point, it's just, it's just memorization that was drilled into my brain for an entire summer. So I feel you on that. Yeah. Our anatomy professor was also like awesome. And she had a similar mind where like, she was just like, you just get it. And, uh, but she did do a good job teaching. Like she would like cold call on us about material from the class before, which, you know, I had a love hate relationship with, but it forced me to spend time in between classes reviewing what we had done. And that's just like reinforcing it. And so even though it was like, a cold call. She also like wasn't mad if you didn't get it right. There's a lot of muscles we had to learn. Um, but I felt like she did a really good job making it accessible and teaching us how to learn. Cause I feel like that's the biggest thing for all the classes was like learning how to learn again. It's so different from undergrad because it's so much material and also you need to know it for the rest of your career. So you can't just memorize and then forget. And so like learning how to apply it, and that's where I got into the classes I liked, like musculoskeletal class. I enjoyed that. Like it was fun. That was yeah. like my, I, that was a good class. It's, it's things that you actually take away for your, for your, your job and your future down the road where I feel like undergrad is always is like, just like, I don't, I don't know. What did you learn in undergrad? I don't know what I learned in undergrad. I learned about uh, group theory. <laughs> um, I learned about the cell I think, I think, I think in undergrad, I think a lot of people, you know, you get your degree and it's, you know, it's kind of unfortunate, the sad state of like what college education has become in our country now. It's like, it's more of a check the box than it is like getting those special skills you need for a, for a job. And, uh, you, you know, I walked away with an exercise science degree and, 
you know, I even worked in strength conditioning for two years before I went back to PT school. And I think I learned more working in PT than I did or working in you know, strength conditioning than I did uh, in undergrad. Yeah. I mean, I viewed it, it as learning for the sake of just like expanding your knowledge base and thinking critically about issues and less about what I'm taking away. Whereas yeah. PT school, I was like, I need to know this. Like <laughs> <laughs> I need to pass my boards. I need to be a good PT. I need to treat my patients well and actually understand what I'm doing. Like I need to actually remember this and not like just try and get an A on my test. Right. What about, uh, what about like the soft skills? What about like psychosocial things like that? Did you, did you have classes on that? We had a class on teaching and physical therapy. So like how to teach your patients because that is such a huge part of what we do. And I think that when we went through our practicals, there was definitely a element that was like interpersonal skills. And especially when we had at the end of every semester, we had a standardized patient. So there was an actor and we were getting filmed on camera in the room with them. And there was a professor grading us and our interactions with patients in those were definitely judged. And like that was part of the score. And we, it was something we talked a lot about in our one-on-one -on -one meetings with whoever the professor was grading us of like, did you do a good job making the information like accessible to the patient and how, what was your body language like? Yeah. I, I think that's such an important part. Like I think you hit the nail on the head when you said like such a huge part of what we do is educating and like, Yes, we wear many hats, manual therapist, exercise specialist, movement specialist. But I think at the end of the day, the, the biggest hat that we do wear is educator. And if we can't educate our patients, because ultimately, then we just create you, we just are creating this model of dependency, which, you know, kind of keeps our healthcare system in the shambles that it is right now. If we're just constantly saying, all right, we're going to crack your back and come back to us in two weeks, but we're not going to tell you what's going on. We're not going to tell you what's happening and just like keep, you know, coming back and keep, you know, creating this dependency model where you need me to fix you, uh, then we're not moving the needle forward in healthcare. And, uh, you know, having the ability to develop a relationship with patients, develop that rapport, that um, relationship is, is such a big component of what we do is that because without the trust, it doesn't, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. You know, I've, I've said before, like the biggest, uh, you know, I could have the best, you know, rehab program in the world. But if I'm an asshole, if I don't know how to talk to you, I treat you like crap, then you're not, it doesn't matter. You're not going to want to work with me. So, so yeah, you got to have that ability to have a conversation with people and, uh, and, and connect with people. Otherwise, who are you? You're just like a robot. Yeah. I mean, I think there was even like, I don't think this is with PTs. I think it was with physicians. But 70% of people got better when they just liked their doctor. Yeah. All treatment aside, all it took was just feeling like you trust and like your physician. I, be I believe that. 70% got better. Absolutely. So. You go in there, get that nice, warm, fuzzy feeling, walk out. Like, I don't know what happened, but I feel better. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously I, important. I, I believe that. Uh, let's talk a little bit now about your athletic background. Yeah. So now so, you, you were an athlete your whole life. Yeah. I started gymnastics when I was three, I think. So you started gymnastics at three and you did that for how long? Fifth, almost 15 years, 14 years, something like that. Um, I quit a month before my 17th birthday. 
Yeah. And, and what level, how, how high did you get in, in terms of competition? I quit when I was a level eight. Which um, is the highest? Before no, you get the level. Like- so there's eight, nine, 10, and then like Olympic. Okay. Slash elite. Yeah. Is that like you move up each level like every year? Is that, how does that work? So I started competing at level five, which is at, when I was a gymnast, that's a typical age you would start at. And you had to get a minimum all around score when you're until you get to college, you have to compete in all four events as a woman. So vault bars, beam and floor. And I think it was a 32 all around, which is an average of an eight on every event you had to get in order to move up to the next level. And then I think from like level seven to level eight, it may have been a 34. I don't really remember at this point, Um, but you had to achieve a score. And then you couldn't compete at the next level unless you had the minimum required skills for each event. Huh. Okay. And did you, did you ever consider doing gymnastics into college or, or was it like you were burned out? I was pretty burnt out. I had a really like odd experience with gymnastics and that there was a lot of turnover in my coaching. And that is usually not the case. Most people have the same coach for like levels one through six and then seven through 10, it's the same coach unless you change gyms. And I think that that turnover and the different style and coaching and the different approach played a role in our burnout just because my team, like there were, there was just too many changes for us to feel like we were on a road going up. And so no one from my age group went on to do college gymnastics. It was all the ones younger than me who had the same coach their whole career. Gotcha. Career as a three to 17 year old. <laughs> gotcha. So you were done with gymnastics. You went to college. Yeah. So I played a year of lacrosse my senior year of high school. Ah, okay. uh, because I made a joke that if I ever quit the gymnastics team, I would join the lacrosse team. I didn't know wh- what lacrosse was, mind you, when I said that. And I quit and they were like, all right, let's go. So I joined the lacrosse team for a year and it was kind of like this joke. I didn't really gain any stick skills. I was just like present uh-huh. and um, doing the conditioning. That was my favorite part. And then I got to college and was just so bored. It was the first time in my life that I had like hours of free time and I didn't know. uh, Shout out Bryn Mawr College. Yeah. For giving giving you plenty of free time with nothing to do. So much free time. Oh my, I was like, how do, what do you do during the day? This is the ultimate ad. We're doing such a great ad for undergrad right now between me saying I learned nothing in undergrad and you saying how bored you were (laughs) in undergrad. Yeah. Well, there was just like, you go to class, like what? I don't know, 12 hours a week. Like what do you do with the rest of your day? Sure. It's true. Like so, you're, supposed to, you're supposed to study, I think. But I mean, I studied, but like that's another like few hours. There's 24 hours in a day, and in college, you're not sleeping. So there's it's a true. lot of hours. It's true. So my roommate was supposed to play lacrosse, and she was like, You should join the team. And so I did. I walked into the coach's office, and I was like, When are tryouts? And she was like, You're on. I was like, Excuse me. That's how All this right. works. So you're, co- and, you're on the team. Yeah. And then my roommate didn't even play. Huh. So you took her, so you took her spot probably. Yeah. So, uh, I was on the team. That was fun. Good four years. Still good friends with most of the women who were in my class on the team. Uh Um, so no regrets. 
Move the District is sponsored by Big League Performance and Rehab. At Big League Performance and Rehab, we help active adults stay that way, pain-free and active during the sports and activities that they love for life. We do this by working on four different areas. That's movement, nutrition, stress management, and sleep. When we optimize these four areas, you feel better, you move better, and you live better. Head to bigleagueperformanceandrehab.com to see how we can help you stay active for life. And now you're a competitive CrossFit athlete, for those of you uh, who don't know. Um, when did you first get into CrossFit? I actually remember the month and the year. September uh, 2013, so it's been happy. a while. Happy seven-year CrossFit anniversary. Thank you. I can't believe it's been that long. <laughs> so September 2013, you get into CrossFit. And then I just did that so that I would not get out of shape. So you, you started that after you graduated from college, correct? Yeah. So I spent a year just running to and from work and like running all over the district and like doing half marathons here and there. Mm -hmm. And then... I was like, enough of this running. Let me, no, actually my husband was like, can you stop talking about CrossFit and just like join a gym? So I did. Were you like a CrossFit, like bad mouther or were you like, I love CrossFit. I need to join CrossFit. Oh, I was the second. I was like, I love it. I love it. I love it. I need to join CrossFit. And then I, but I didn't have a gym membership. So going from paying $0 a month for a gym to like, I think it's like two fifty in DC. I was like, that's a steep, right. Steep price. But I bit the bullet and I was like, I'll just drink fewer beers on Wednesday night when I play trivia. And did you? Or did you still continue to drink the same amount of beers? No, I, I stopped drinking beers on Wednesday night. There you go. There you go. I, I, I was just going to say, how do you, you know, I, I feel like that's always like a big complaint with people joining gyms, especially here in D.C., like the cost. The cost is obviously a barrier for a lot of people. How do you... Would you say, I mean, you obviously would say it's worth it, but how do you, I guess, I guess your advice would be to tell people to stop going out on Wednesday night. I don't know. I think it's dependent on like what your guilty pleasure is. Like I loved trivia, but I realized I didn't need to drink beer to have fun at trivia. And so taking out, you know, I think it wound up being like $25 a week. And then when you don't drink on Wednesday night, you get up Thursday and you feel good. You're less likely to like go to happy hour. And so I felt like it was this cascade of things where because I joined the gym and decided to stop doing something one night and I felt better, I stopped making unhealthy choices more often. And maybe that's not the case for everyone. Maybe it's like, you know, you're for me also now nitro cold brew, that's $5. So if you cut that out, like adding those expenses up, I think it's really easy to get to the cost of a gym. Yeah, I think it's a very millennial thing to think of things in like the cost of beer. Like I've definitely done that where it's like, oh, well, that's five beers right there. And yeah. and yeah, like you're like, well, if I just drink five less beers, then I can afford this. Or it's the other way around where it's like, that's money I could spend on five beers. <laughs> true, true. It goes, it goes both ways. But um, yeah, I think it, it then goes back to like, what are your priorities? Where 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 is your head at right now in terms of like, you know, what I want to actually invest my money in. And, you know, if the answer is, you know, long-term, you know, health benefits. And I think especially as you get older and you're like, I want to keep doing these things long-term and I want to be here long-term then like ultimately where are you going to invest your money? And I think that is why you invest in a gym. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of a no brainer for me, but I also think 
you know, not everyone needs to pay these expensive fees to go to a CrossFit gym or like participate in the latest fad. But for me, I had always been on a team. And so I felt like CrossFit would fill that gap of not having my teammates anymore and not having that element of competition. Cause I, as a competitive person, like enjoy that, but it's different for everyone and it doesn't have to be a $250 expense. Right. And I think that's, what's the great thing about CrossFit. I mean, I know CrossFit is not the most popular, uh, company brand, whatever, uh, today, uh, you know, with everything that they've been in the news for recently, but I will give them credit for, you know, creating a sense of community. I think, a uh, few gyms, workout, uh, you know, brands, companies, wherever you want to label them, have done a, as good a job as creating communities or creating one community than CrossFit has. I think, you know, it's one of those things where you can go to a city and you're like, I need to get a workout in or hell, I'm new to the city and I, you know, don't have any friends. Like, how can I go make friends? You join a CrossFit gym. And I think CrossFit has done such a great job of that. And then the other thing I would say is, you know, They've done a great job of putting a barbell in so many, uh, you know, men and women's, I'd say more women than men, just putting a barbell in their hands and, and giving them, you know, the, the skills and knowledge to how to, you know, improve their life. Yeah. I mean, I think that has been the biggest impact for me. I know that it gets a lot of bad connotation with saying CrossFit these days and even in the past because of the form, but I would never have lifted weights on my own. It gave me the opportunity to feel comfortable and safe doing that and shifted that mindset of working out to like get thin or, you know, lose weight, get six pack abs to, I want to be able to, I mean, one of my goals, I was like, I want to be able to back squat my husband and, (laughs) and shifting that, which I can, which Uh, goal was accomplished. Goal achieved, but like shifting that focus from like the outward view of yourself, like what the world views you as versus like what I can do. And thank God that happened because I look at like what I weighed, even going into the Philippines in 2015 versus now, like I have put on 25 pounds, which like high school gymnast me would probably have freaked out about. But it was the first time I think I realized like the true meaning of muscle weighs more than fat. Mm-hmm. And I think that CrossFit has done a good job of highlighting that. Like it's okay that the scale doesn't say what you think it should because look at what you're doing. Right. I think that's, that's overall, that's so empowering. That's such an empowering message where, you know, you're constantly looking in the mirror, constantly looking at the scale, looking at all these external things that people, you know, tend to rely on and they tend to become, you know, over time, you know, for, for mainly worse than better, they, they've become the gold standard of like health and, you know, realizing that there's so much more and focusing on things that aren't necessarily, um, you know, aesthetically related, you know, changes the whole outlet look of, of exercise and of health overall. And, and I think that's like a great point where like, you know, doing something like CrossFit gives you that like extra goal of like, I want to, I want to back squat my husband or, you know, just even something simple as like doing a pull up, you know, it gives you those, those kind of goals where you can focus on those and not like, Oh, well I want to lose 20 pounds or, Oh, I want to be a size five or, or whatever it might be. It's like, how do I, you know, it, it gives you that opportunity to get healthy without the like focus on the benchmarks. Cause those other numbers are going to come, you know, whether it's, you know, on the scale or, or, 
you know, blood pressure or cholesterol or what, what, you know, whatever it might be, those numbers will probably come if you're doing all the things you're supposed to do secondarily. Yeah, no, totally. And I think that that has been the best outcome for CrossFit. And you know that we've gotten a little bit better at looking at technique and not just like, yeah, dude, throw on more weight. Uh, re- we've learned. I, we've learned. I remember the old CrossFit fails videos. Oh God. Oh, God. Those, those were so great. Guys like using like logs and oh God, there's so many bad, so many bad videos that like that was, cause that was like my first exposure to CrossFit. And like, I was like, Oh God, what a train wreck. And I was like, you know, 22 year old hotshot, like new grad strength coach. And I'm like, oh, this, these guys are clueless. They have no idea. And, uh, yeah, that was definitely like my first idea. And then it wasn't until, I don't know, probably like right around the time I graduated PT school and started working. Uh, I was like, Oh, okay. CrossFit does this CrossFit, does, you know, it, it's, it's actually not just those like CrossFit bros who are like, just like, you know, squatting 300 quarter squatting 300 pounds. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely come a long way. What would, early days. What would you say uh, to someone who was thinking was was looking for a new workout and was interested in CrossFit? What would you What would you tell them? I would want to find out a little bit more about why. I I don't think CrossFit is for everyone. I think you know not everyone likes competition and putting a score up on the whiteboard or being next to someone doing the same workout and knowing that they're trying to beat you. Not everyone has that mindset. And so just, and you don't have to, to join a gym. Not every gym is a competitive mindset. I think every culture is their own. So just trying to figure out like why CrossFit, what are your goals with this? And if it's like, I want to be healthy, I want to make new friends. I think that is huge. I want to be held accountable is also huge. Or like, I just want to get stronger, fitter, whatever it is, those kinds of things. I think there are big reasons why. If it is, you know, if, I wouldn't say like someone who just wants to get a good cardio workout, like CrossFit isn't for them. You'll get cardio, but if you don't want to lift weights, this probably isn't the right fit. Right. Um, I, yeah. I, I don't know that, if that was that clear. <laughs> no, I think that makes sense, most sense. I was say, I was going to say who, who would be the right person to join, to join CrossFit? What does that, what does that person look like? The average person? I feel like the average person six years ago was, you know, used to be an athlete, high school, college, and just want something that resembles like the strength and conditioning that we do, used to do as athletes. But I, I think now it, it's broadened its scope and it can be that person who wants guidance on how to get fit and they want to get stronger, but they also want to improve their cardio because it is a mix of both. And so it's not like someone who just wants to build muscle or just wants to build endurance. You have to like, we want to build a little strength, a little endurance. Right. And you have to be open to being humble when you walk in the door and, and knowing that like some of the skills take time. So if you're someone who gets really flustered, maybe one-on-one on-ramp is the way to go so that you get a lot of attention and you're not in a big group until you feel comfortable. Right. Yeah. There's definitely, it's definitely one of those things where you're probably going to suck when you first do it. Yeah. Whether it's, it's conditioning wise, whether it's skill wise, like you'll probably suck. And I think you have to be okay with that to an, to an extent. Yeah. And like leaving your ego at the door when your coach is like, Hey, I think you should just use the barbell for this workout. Like being okay with knowing that you're focusing on technique early, but you will be able to add weight later. 
And it's just part of the journey to like getting fitter and getting, building that coordination and the, and the timing and the strength in new positions. Right. So now where, how does CrossFit and physical therapy, where do you think they intersect? I think they intersect in the idea of just getting people stronger and moving better. I think the nice thing that CrossFit has done is try and take the strength and conditioning and they claim they're making it functional. So there's a lot of squatting. They claim, you know, I'm not sold on the idea that a muscle up is functional unless you're climbing walls. Um, but it, the idea of being able to pull yourself up, you know, I think that is functional. If you're in a scenario in which you have to like, I don't know, escape something, you don't know what's going to happen. Like that is functional, but they also are taking like a balance side. If you're talking about gymnastics and handstands, like the body awareness, balance and control. Mm -hmm. And so I think that in physical therapy, we're doing a similar thing. We're trying to build strength. We're trying to get people moving better and we're trying to improve their balance and their health long-term. I think those are all goals that overlap. I think that CrossFit is lacking lateral movement, which I think physical therapy does more of. I think so. I think that's, I think it's a good uh, way to kind of compliment uh, uh, CrossFit. I think, I think, you know, include incorporating things like lateral movement, single leg movements. I think physical therapy does a good job of complementing that. Um, it kind of goes to the next question is, do you, do you think all physical therapists can treat CrossFit athletes? No. And for two reasons, one is that there was a lot of there were a lot of PTs who really disregarded CrossFit early on and, and kind of rightfully so just based on like how it started. And so I think that there's this negative connotation and it still exists. And so if a PT has that negative connotation, then the CrossFitter isn't going to trust them. And that's one way. And that's why it doesn't work, but also they're not going to understand where the CrossFitter is coming from. So it's like that, that mutual respect for what each other does and believe in has to be there. Right. Yeah. I think it's having that understanding. Yeah. And then if you're a PT who is not familiar with the snatch, the clean and jerk overhead squat, deadlift, back squat, front squat, so on and so forth, or understand like the purpose of a kipping movement or the skill behind it, then I don't think the knowledge is there. That doesn't mean you can't learn these things, but just out of PT school, I don't think you would know enough without doing extra research, reading, time spent in the gym. Right. I think it's that rapport, like that ability to like build a rapport with someone because you know what, you know, goes on in a box. You know, you know what, you know, you know, kipping, you know, you know how to snatch, you know how to do muscle ups. And, and I think that is, you know, ultimately, you know, what's going to build trust versus, you know, someone who's just going to throw a yellow TheraBand at you and be like, all right, we need to strengthen your rotator cuff because your shoulder hurts. I don't really know how to do a snatch, but we're just going to do these, uh, you know, external rotation uh, with your arm at your side because that's going to translate to doing a uh, 200-pound snatch. Yeah. So I think that CrossFitters have a reason to kind of question going to PT. It's been there for a little while, and I think we're progressing. Right. Now, how do we, how do we build that relationship? Cause I think for so long there's been this divide between the health and fitness community just in general. 
but especially with CrossFit, with CrossFit kind of doing its own thing and like being its own, you know, animal where, you know, it's gotten such a negative out, it's very, you know, very much a CrossFit versus the world kind of, kind of thing where, you know, all medical providers have just been like, CrossFit sucks. CrossFit's horrible for you. Um, we know it's not, but like, how do we go about bridging that divide? Do you think? I think a lot of it is going to come from the interactions with patients. I know that we can chat with coaches and uh, members, and I think that that does help. But when they come in saying like, okay, I want to keep you in the gym. So let's figure out what you can do safely without like making anything worse. And then let's figure out a path to getting you back to whatever it is you want to do. So that you're not saying like, oh, you need to stop. Yeah. Or like, that's unsafe. Like we need to stop saying those things unless it is a medical emergency and it quite literally is unsafe and you need to stop. Right. Um, if it's not, then like working with them to show them that you respect that this is something they care about. And so knowing enough and learning enough to figure out what we can change so that they can keep doing it. Yeah, I always feel like it's a, like a, a lazy physical therapist will tell you to stop doing something a good physical therapist will find a way for you to keep doing what you love or modify it, alter it in some way. And I think that's, that's a big thing where a physical therapist can just be like, Oh, CrossFit, don't do it. You know, I think, um, CrossFit and running are the, probably the two biggest populations that if you tell them not to do something, they're going to say, screw you. I'm just going to do it anyway. And then you'll never see them again. And they'll just continue to run through pain or, you know, they'll, they'll continue to run until they can't run anymore. And then they just won't run anymore. And then everybody loses. So I think, you know, CrossFit and running are like those two populations where you're like, all right, let's find a way to make this happen so you don't lose your damn mind. Yeah. So I think that's how we start solving it because they'll tell their friends. Exactly. And, that, and it's true. I mean, I think that's, that's, that's the thing. Like you walk in and all of a sudden you're like, oh shit, this girl, you know, you know, help me, you know, increase my snatch. You know, I can not only pay, snatch pain-free, but I can, you know, snatch 10 pounds heavier now. So I think, yeah, I think that's the way like you start locally, you know, uh, you know, individuals, and then you're able to, you know, just show more and more people that we're there versus I think before it's very much a, you know, bashing of the heads. And I think as physical therapists, as educators, movement specialists, I think we're in that position where we can bridge that, bridge that gap, bridge that divide between health and fitness. Cause instead of butting heads, it's like, no, let's find a way for you to do this instead of because uh, it's, you know, it's, it's good for your physical health as well as your mental health. So let's find a way for you to make this happen instead of just being like, no, you should just, you should just moderately run, moderately exercise. It's like, no, I want to work out. So well, let's find a way for you to work out. Yeah. And you know, I've been on the other side where I was told to stop doing something and I was like, I'm going to the games in a month. So no, thanks. Um, and I, I get it. I get why there's frustration. And so I think just having that mutual respect for each other would go just goes a long way. Right. Yeah. I think, um, I think that makes a lot of sense. Speaking of going to the games now, you're not just the, uh, the average CrossFitter here. You're a pretty competitive athlete here. You've gone to the CrossFit games. How many years now? Twice? No, it was just one year. Just one year. Okay. Just one year. So that was 26, 17. 2018, I went to the games. I did regionals, 2016, 2017 individual, and then 2018 on the team that we qualified to the games for. And and you were also fittest in the Philippines. 
That is true. Yes. Two years Fit, in a row. Fittest in the Philippines. What, when did you decide like, Hey, like I'm going to take this to the next level. When we moved to the Philippines, like I didn't know what I was going to do. I was like, okay, so I have to apply to PT school and that's what I have to do for the next two years. Um, and so it was actually like two coaches at balance sat me down and they were like, look, you have the background, you have the skill, you don't have the strength right now. But we think that if you put your mind to this, you could qualify for regionals out of Asia because it, it was a little bit less competitive out of Asia. Right. They were like, we think you could do this if you put your mind to it by 2017. And I was like, all right, got nothing else to do. So I got my level one, applied for a job at a gym in the Philippines. I interviewed in the U.S. and got the job and just set out on my way. I hired a coach. I needed mm -hmm. a coach. Um, and, and so, that was how I got into it. Gosh. And so now we got, uh, we got some more competitions coming up if we ever cross yeah. ever resumes. Right. So we got the district throwdown coming up here in DC that you're going to be competing in with your, your team. Right. Mm -hmm. And yep. then what's the, what does the future hold? I think it depends on what happens in the world. Uh, Fair in 2021. I know that, my, I'm not at a place yet where I'm like, oh, I'm 100% done. But if it didn't pan out this year to try and go, you know, really qualify for a spot, I wouldn't be like horribly upset. I think I've like come to terms with it over the course of the 2020 season. And that being said, like Liz, who is the woman who I compete with, she and I were like, I mean, either way, if Mac happens, Mid-Atlantic CrossFit Challenge that's in D.C., we would try and go because it's here and it's fun. Even if we're going to have fun versus like trying to qualify for the games. Gotcha. That makes sense. So potentially 2021 open to some more competitions yeah. locally and nationally, globally, yeah. worldwide. worldwide. Yeah. So we'll see. Okay. All right. So we're going to wrap it up here. Uh, tell me the best part about working at big league. Having a full hour with everyone. And you're, of course, you being my boss. You were um, supposed to say me, but that's okay. Yeah, I think the one-on-one -on -one hour, I think that's, that's great. Yeah, of course, it's you as the boss. Number Thank two you. is the, the one hour with everyone. Absolutely. And access to an actual gym. Yeah, I think, I think both of those things, or all three of those things, uh, make it fantastic. Yeah, I think the one-on-one the -on -one time, we just don't get enough, you just don't get enough time in other places with people, and people have stories to tell. They have multiple ailments. They need to, yeah, wanna, they want to dress. So it's like, how are we able to focus on all of those things? Uh, and the answer is by giving them the time with a doctor, whereas the average doctor's visit in this country is eight minutes. So it's like, why, why, you know, let's, let's let people be heard. Uh, and I think that makes sense. What's the best thing that's happened to you in the last week? In the last week, there were three dogs who came into the gym, uh, this week, three dogs. And, yeah, we did, we did, we did have three dogs. And that was pretty much the best day. If <laughs> nobody knows, I love dogs. Zoe loves dogs. Uh, you bring are the, your dogs. You're the proud owner of not one, but two dogs. Yeah. Zena and Conan. Zena and Conan named after exactly what you think. Yep. And, uh, and yes, so, so this is actually a, uh, an advertisement for all patients to, uh, please bring your dogs. We, we like having your dogs in the clinic. 
as long as they're well behaved. Yeah. Have Please to be well behaved. <laughs> and on that note, Zoe, thank you for coming on. I appreciate having you and I will see you tomorrow in the office. All right. See ya. Thank you so much for listening to Move the District today. If you want to find out more about our guests or about Big League Performance and Rehab and how we can help you continue to be active and pain-free, head over to BigLeaguePerformanceAndRehab.com to learn more. Thanks, and until next time, keep moving, DC.